I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but when my friend Clay Mason Bannerman and I want to impress our new lady friends, Tiffer and Mickey, we don't even have to take them to a restaurant. That's because we have an entire freezer stocked full of ButcherBox, and that includes high-quality meat and seafood that we can trust. It's so convenient. It's delivered right to our doorstep, and there's always free shipping. I mean, where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Tiffer and Mickey love it, and so will you. At least one of them is always around asking when the new ButcherBox is arriving. Sign up at ButcherBox.com mega and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional 20 bucks off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com mega and use code MEGA to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus 20 bucks off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Because I really value truth, misinformation really, really scares me. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that dismantles new age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy mad yogis. At their best, they attack public health efforts in times of crisis. And at their worst, it's like they're recruiting for the fever dream of QAnon. On Conspirituality, you will have a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic all discussing stories and cult dynamics and helping educate us and using proven science as their guiding light. I really recommend the Jordan Klepper episode talking about creating comedy in the MAGAverse. Jordan's incredible. And I also really love the medical medium episode. It's really good and not just because I've had my own weird experiences with mediums. <laughs> From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed against misinformation and resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last episode on the rise and fall of Twin Hills. <laughs> the Lord moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And I said, yeah. And he opened the door and pushed me out. That was it. He literally and figuratively pushed me out. I mean, I was buxom. And he said, can I just get a little milk? And I said, yeah, let me go to that. And he goes, not that kind of milk. And so um, we put on some jazz and he nursed for me that night. And that's all I'm saying is I'm going to give you an opportunity. You want to be a part of a community? Are you selling timeshares? My name is Grant Haish, and it had been more than a week since I had gone to review a Chick-fil-A in the massive food court of Twin Hills Community Church and stumbled upon shocking revelations of impropriety around its lead pastor, Steve Judson. 
Hoping to bring attention to my food blog, ohmygodthatsgood.blogspot.com, I had published my findings in the only other way guaranteed to make less money than print journalism, a podcast. And it wasn't long before the threats came rolling in, mostly from Steve's assistant, Meryl Miller, who I had failed to inform that I was recording our conversations. You are what? A, a complete loser trying to do your best to survive in the world who doesn't even believe. So you would have no idea what it's like to be someone like Steve who cares and who wants to make good in the world and who believes in Jesus when you're a nothing little piece of shit. My personal life was also in free fall. After caving to pressure from former Twin Hills co-pastor Doug Jeffers, I had unwisely decided to invest in a Christian timeshare without the knowledge of my wife. Now facing financial ruin, I was scrambling to bring money in with my blog and now podcast. With my wife staying with her mother for a while, I couldn't help but think, what else was Steve Judson hiding? This is the story of Twin Hills Community Church and its charismatic breastfeeding lead pastor, Steve Judson. It's a story of power, power boats, gay bars, unholy unions, and shocking violence. It is also the story of excellent local restaurant reviews, which subscribers can receive in their inbox from me once a month for $15 by visiting my blog, ohmygodthatsgood.blogspot.com. This is the rise and fall of Twin Hills. Sure there are reasons to question your process. and now podcasting, I was depressed. Writing turned out to be hard and boring, and I was learning that everyone has a podcast these days. I didn't know if I was a food blogger or an investigative journalist with a potentially earth-shattering story. One thing I did know is that my marriage was on thin ice and that I had started stress eating again, and that I hadn't had a bowel movement in over 72 hours. Hey, hon, just calling to check in. Hope everything's well and wanted to see if anything has changed on your end. Everything's great here. The blog's going great, and so is the podcast. So would love to fill you in. Say hi to your mom. 
Welcome to Arby's. Can I take your order? Uh, yeah. Could I get the King's Hawaiian Sweet Heat Chicken Sandwich with curly fries and a large Dr. Pepper? And uh, you might remember me from yesterday. I'm from from Oh My God That's Good Blogspot.com, food critic. So think I could get that discount? Ugh, no. I felt stuck, like I was drowning in the disgusting sweet heat sauce that they serve at the Arby's on Keystone Road. One star, don't recommend. With my mind swimming, I went to sit by the water and sort out my thoughts. But since Indianapolis doesn't have a waterfront, I instead went to look at the boats at Champions Boat Emporium, a large boat sales lot just south of the city. I felt like a failure, alone, lost. But then, like Jesus finding his pet lamb, the Twin Hills story found me. I was pacing the enormous boat lot, trying to figure out how I might get out of spending three weeks a year at a fractionally owned condo in Branson and patch things up with my wife when I was approached by an affable salesman. Name's Buddy Champion, Buddy's Boats. I always say, if you don't have a buddy in your boat, you're not a champion. <laughs> in fact, that slogan I had printed on 100 t-shirts years and years and years ago, way, 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 way back when we first opened. We still have, would you like some? For nearly 30 years, Buddy had sold boats to the rich and powerful of Indianapolis. John Mellencamp, Reggie Miller, and about a dozen other people that no one outside of Indiana has ever heard of have all purchased boats from Buddy. But one name stuck out. I remember the day Steve came in because he was a presence. Fascinating person. You've met him? It was September 12th of 2001, and with Twin Hills booming and a global war on terror about to begin, Steve had come to buy a refuge from the demands of work and a hiding place from Al-Qaeda. It was a day that Buddy would never forget. We wanted to buy a boat and he wanted to buy it now. So I said, uh, come on in, let's, let's check it out together. And, and we went out to the pier and, and he just made a beeline for the float and he kind of gave me a tour of it. I was impressed with his knowledge of nautical things, especially luxury. He really knew luxury. I was very impressed by that. It was a boat fit for a king. The luxury float 520. It's the largest boat we had on, on what we call the lot. It's really a floating lot. And it has three floors. It's got a jacuzzi on the inside and then a hot tub on the outside. It's got three bars and six bedrooms. And one of them has two beds in it. Sauna, soda jerk fountain. They even put in one of those things where you can inject carbonation into water. It's a beautiful device, if I may say. And by the time we had kind of walked every bit of it, a spiral staircase on the elevator, I felt like I wanted to buy it from him. Buddy felt instant camaraderie with Steve. He was magnetic, the type of guy other guys want to be close to and friends with, because if you aren't, then there's a chance he might make fun of you, which is every man's greatest fear. I didn't think he was a pastor at first, but he didn't say anything about being a pastor, but he did mention Jesus a lot, so I just figured he was a politician. By evangelical standards, Buddy wasn't a Christian. Being a Christian meant accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. After that, it was hard for me to figure out if there was any other real requirement involved. Again, I'm not from this world. Buddy. Well, I was raised Presbyterian in a kind of a relaxed church. I never really connected. I mean, I went out of obligation. I really didn't see the light, I guess. I think by the time I was in my 30s, I just kind of stopped going and I lost interest. Buddy had grown up in a middle-class family in Evansville. His mother worked as a makeup artist at a funeral home. 
His father, Buddy Sr., had left his job as a small-town choreographer when Buddy was five and jumped on a freight train bound for New York. An only child who liked to keep to himself, Buddy felt the absence of his father and found refuge in comic books and Star Trek. Yeah, my dad wasn't around, so I, I didn't really have any kind of uh, a model of how to become a, a man. I watched a lot of science fiction. You know, I tried to make myself into a, a combination of Kirk and Ripley and, I guess, Willy Wonka. Which, ironically, perfectly describes Steve. After Steve purchased the yacht from Buddy, they would take frequent trips together. He was a captain from the beginning, and I was his Mr. Snee. That was... Uh, it was a, a great time. I mean, I never really connected to another man like that, and I, and I felt a real kinship nautically and, and just uh, spiritually, I guess. As their friendship grew, so did their trust. Buddy would confide in Steve, and Steve would pray for Buddy, telling him about the power of Jesus and the transformation that was possible in his life. But it wasn't until they were in the middle of Lake Erie on a long weekend cruise that Steve finally broke through to Buddy. It's a story that is reminiscent of Jesus and Peter, if you aren't familiar with the story, it goes something like this. In the Bible, a fisherman named Peter is interrupted by Jesus, who pulls a wild stunt. He walks on water. Not only that, he commands Peter to do the same. And when Peter doubts, or perhaps just realizes that this might all be a prank, he almost drowns. And then Jesus just pulls him out. For Christians, this is the story of miraculous faith. For me, it seemed like a problematic series of cross boundaries and gaslighting. Here's Buddy. He said, you know, we got to take the boat somewhere where we can swim. And I, and I told him I don't know how to swim. And the first thing he did, he just took me to the edge of the boat. He pointed down to the water, said, are you afraid of that? And I said, yeah. And he threw me in. He tossed me overboard. Why? Like Peter, Buddy wasn't joking. He couldn't swim. And he sank quickly the black waters swirling over his head as he descended into the murky darkness. I almost drowned, <laughs> and I went down. I mean, I was struggling. I really thought I was going to be a goner. And then, plunge, boom, Steve jumped into the water right next to me, pulled me out. And let me tell you something. That man saved my life. Just like Jesus, Steve pulled Buddy out. But I wondered... Couldn't Buddy look at the story differently? Didn't Steve technically try to drown him? No, no, because he pulled me out. Steve didn't try to kill me, he tried to save me. His whole life he tried to save me. It was then that Buddy felt God for the first time. I remember uh, coughing and, and, and looking up at him and the sun was behind his head and I thought this is something very special. I need to remember this moment. When I think of Steve in my head, that's what I see. A shadowy figure with a light from behind blinding me. <laughs> and that was the day I accepted Jesus Christ and Steve, really, as my Lord and Savior, in that order. I also like to say I got baptized that day. <laughs> Steve loves that one. We, 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 we love each other. This friendship, if you could call it that, was eerily similar to another person I spoke with, Darren Gold. Darren had been on the drama team and the first youth pastor at Twin Hills. He had been close with Steve when he worked at the church. Here's Darren. I was trying to be an actor back then. I was trying to be famous, you know, chasing the wrong things. 
As a struggling actor in the Midwest, Darren loved being a part of the theatrical presentations at Twin Hills. For the first time in his life, he was acting in front of a captive audience who would show up whether the play was good or not. My very first show at Twin Hills was a musical called Christ on a Bike, and I got to play Jesus, but he was like this cool steampunk bike messenger, and he was racing against Satan to deliver the gospel to everyone on earth. I got a message of love and hope, but the devil stuck a stick in my spokes. But it wasn't Darren's acting that caught Steve's eye. It was his energy. And before Darren knew it, Steve had asked him to move from the drama team and into the role of a lifetime as Twin Hills' first youth pastor. They named the youth group Climax, which no one seemed to think was weird. You know, the crazy thing is there really aren't any official requirements to be a youth pastor because it's a made-up job. You know, you, you don't have to go to school. You don't even have to really know the Bible that well. I, I know for sure that I didn't. I, I was trying to be a famous actor. But as it turned out, Darren was very good at playing the part of spiritual guide to teenagers at Twin Hills. On the side, I was printing headshots, and then on Wednesday nights, I'm, I'm up there telling them the meaning of the Trinity. Yeah, you just got to know the basics, you know, energy, community, and, and whenever you talk about sex, shame, but then sex in marriage is awesome. But there was one marriage that perhaps wasn't awesome. And that was Steve's marriage to Louise, which was about to become a huge factor in the life of Buddy Champion. When we come back. And I said, then I'm your man. You just tell me what you need and I will do it with her, to her, whatever you need me to do, I will do. After this short break. Hey, listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? Amin, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. Oh, we're trying to well. ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. Ooh, this month is... Wow! Oh, oh Maze, why'd you say that? Supercharge it. <laughs> so that this promo can remain evergreen. I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it, give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo. Wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> Because I really value truth, misinformation really, really scares me. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about Conspirituality, a podcast that dismantles new age cults, wellness grifters, and conspiracy mad yogis. At their best, they attack public health efforts in times of crisis. And at their worst, it's like they're recruiting for the fever dream of QAnon. On Conspirituality, you will have a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic all discussing stories and cult dynamics and helping educate us and using proven science as their guiding light. 
I really recommend the Jordan Klepper episode talking about creating comedy in the megaverse. Jordan's incredible. And I also really love the medical medium episode. It's really good. And not just because I've had my own weird experiences with mediums. <laughs> From exploring cults to analyzing our cultural and political landscape, the Conspirituality Podcast will help you stay informed against misinformation and resist fear tactics. Find Conspirituality on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve's marriage to Louise was seen by many at Twin Hills as a thing of mystery. After convincing Doug Jeffers to break up with her and marrying her himself, Steve and Louise were rarely seen together in public, and Louise rarely attended services. Being equally yoked in marriage was something that Twin Hillers would bring up to me constantly, but it didn't seem to apply to Steve and Louise. And since I have a deadly egg allergy, I didn't follow up on exactly what yoked even meant. Steve and his boat dealer, Buddy Champion, had grown close, and Buddy considered Steve to be his best friend. So when Steve called Buddy and invited him to a dinner party he was hosting, he didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. Here's Buddy. He said, why don't you come over? We're having a little party. So I, you know, I, I shaved and I showered and I got ready and I went over there. And I was surprised to find that I was the only guest. It was a party of three. And we had a very nice meal. Louise didn't fix it. There was a, a, a woman there who was fixing it for them. And then she was sent away. It was delicious. And I m maybe had a little too much to drink. <laughs> and that's when Steve said, you know, Louise and I are having kind of a hard time right now and we could use your help with something. He said, there's something that I, I can't give to Louise that I'm hoping you will. And I said, well, anything, anything. And I, I had no idea what that could be. He said, it's something very intimate and something that I wish I could give her. But it, in my position as a spiritual leader, I can't be involved in this kind of behavior. And I said, then I'm your man. You just tell me what you need and I will do it with her, to her, whatever you need me to do, I will do. I really had no idea what he was talking about. I'm going to break in here and say that what follows is one of the more disturbing things I learned about Steve and Louise. I assume that Steve, like Jerry Falwell Jr., Joel Osteen, and probably James Dobson, had just wanted another man to have sex with his wife while he watched. It's pretty common. There's a whole channel dedicated to it on Pornhub. At one point a few years ago, my wife and I even attempted it at her request. But rather than a former NFL player having sex with my wife, it resulted in a confusing exchange over Craigslist where I ended up booking the wrong Cincinnati motel and my car was stolen, along with my identity. Needless to say, what follows is not the classic preacher come cuck that we're all familiar with. You've been warned. And then he pointed to the other side of the room behind me and I turned around and I mean, I was gobsmacked. There was Louise. And I couldn't believe the expression on her face. It was rage. And she ran at me with a fist raised and she slammed her fist right into my jaw. And I went down and she leaped on top of me and just started beating my chest with her fists. And then like pushing her, her knee into my groin, putting all her weight on it and screaming at me and calling me Steve. And Steve was off to the side. He, he kind of like poured himself a drink and sort of nodded while she beat the hell out of me.
The beating by Louise lasted several hours, with Buddy, the faithful servant, taking every blow like a champion. Afterwards, he said, Thank you, Buddy. You're my buddy, Buddy. <laughs> Steve got me up and sat me down at the, at the dining room table, and he, he put his hand on my shoulder, which hurt, and he said, I can't do that for her. So on uh, Tuesdays, I would go over, and they set up a special room. And when I told my wife about it, she said, this, this is sexual, and I said, it isn't, because sexual would be whips and leather and nipple clamps or whatever. But this was just me and her in a room and she would just hit me as hard as she could every Tuesday. This need for Louise to beat the shit out of Buddy as a proxy for Steve had me baffled. What was behind it? Buddy. Oh, well, I mean, sometimes I would, you know, I would ask her, you know, during it, sometimes I'd just go, why? Why? And she never really answered that directly. I do remember she put her, her hand over my mouth and was flicking my eyeballs with her other hand. It's just, think, think. And while she was doing that, she was saying, you have no idea the pressures that are on a preacher's wife in this world. She said she always has to look good. She always has to look expensive. And then she also has to be the, the wife of someone who is more important to other people than he is to her. Does that make sense? Eventually, after several years, the weekly beatings stopped. I took a note from my surgeon when I had my lung replaced. I think it set Steve on a new course. I know Louise was disappointed. She kind of counted on that, and I felt bad. I felt really bad not being able to be there for her. The pressure of keeping up appearances wasn't just weighing on Louise. They were also weighing on Darren. He was the failed actor turned youth pastor of Twin Hills. But Darren also had a secret, one that he couldn't tell anyone, until he told Steve. I said, Steve, I, I have something to tell you, and that is that I have same-sex attraction. And not just that, but like an old french fry under the seat of a car, a dead body turns up where I least expect it. When we come back. I was fascinated by Darren, the actor come youth pastor with a gay secret and flawless skin. Oh, and the dead body that I thought was stinking up my car did turn out to be a bag of curly fries that I had left in my trunk from a week ago. Darren had moved from the theater, if you can call it that, to running Climax, a youth group that was exploding with teens, hungry for Christ, pizza, and the possibility of high friction gene sex at lock-ins. Darren spent his weekends preaching in the gymnasium and his summers leading mission trips to places like New York City and Cancun, where the Climax youth would build skate parks for the homeless or watch their parents build houses for the poor. It was the role of a lifetime, one where he was always the star, and the teens loved him. He was cool. He was popular. There was just one problem. He was gay. Apparently, being gay and evangelical was a no-go back then. Same story today. I know, so weird. I first realized that I had same-sex attraction when I was seven years old. My older brother was watching the old VHS of Top Gun. And when everybody was asleep, I, I snuck into the living room and I, I fast forwarded to that scene where Goose dies and how sad everybody was really made me wish he was alive and that I could kiss him. And then I discovered the volleyball scene, and, and, and that kept me up all night. Like many churches, Twin Hills believed that homosexuality was condemned by the Bible, 
Most often, Leviticus 20.13 is cited. But after skimming through the Bible, I was astounded at the number of gay characters in it. David and Jonathan, Martha and Mary, definitely Paul. And if the Pentecost wasn't code for experimental gay activity, I'd be surprised. Sometimes, in college, my fraternity brothers and I would do a Tongues of Fire night where we would drink fireball and go down on each other as a joke. But I digress. Since Steve couldn't find anything about sexual orientation in the Bible, he had a workaround. You could be gay. You just couldn't act on it. But Darren had acted on it. Darren was an actor, after all. And even before that. The first time I ever acted on my same-sex attractions was uh, when I was eight years old. I invited my best friend Matthew over, and we, we went to my room, and, and I closed the door. And I went to the bathroom, and I grabbed some hairspray and my sister's brush. And I, I went into the bedroom, and I said, Matthew, do you trust me? And, and he said, what do you mean, Darren? And I said, close your eyes. And um, I just started spraying, spraying that hairspray and using that brush and making his hair just look like a young Benny Hinn. Take the first breath of the spirit. It was definitely what they call a, a formative experience in my life. But since he had become a youth pastor, Darren had refrained from acting on his same-sex impulses, even going as far as to date several women. Luckily, since sex before marriage is forbidden, most evangelical men aren't suspected of being gay until after they wed. But the closer Darren got to Steve, the more his big gay secret weighed on him, until finally, it came bursting out. I said, Steve, there's nothing I love more than talking to these kids and making them feel heard and, and all that, but I have something to tell you, and that is that I have same-sex attraction. And he just looked at me and he said, hey, your sin, no different than mine. You know, that murderer on the street, no different than you for thinking that a man is attractive. And this was coming from a man who had definitely almost killed at least two people. For a while, it worked. Steve turned a blind eye to Darren's being gay, and Darren, like Philip the Apostle, kept his sexual orientation a secret. Again, there are so many gay characters in this thing, I can't figure out why it's a big deal to these people. But one Sunday night, all that changed. The night of a hundred clubs. The night of a hundred clubs. A night that Darren and much of the gay community in Indianapolis still talks about. Steve came to me after a, a message on the economy and I thought he was going to ask me, have I invested in a Roth IRA or anything? But he, he asked me instead, Darren, what's the deal with this whole gay thing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I was watching TV and by accident, he watched this new show that was on Will and Grace. No, Jack has the most finely tuned gaydar in the tri-state area. <laughs> it got him thinking about me. And he said, I want to go to a hundred clubs. I want to understand you, Darren. And I said, well, Steve, there are only about three gay clubs in all of Indianapolis. And he said, we're going to go to all of them. At first, Darren was nervous. A youth pastor and a pastor at a gay club? It might come across as the kind of classic hypocrisy that everyone was tired of by now. But as they visited one club and then another, a side of Steve was coming out that Darren had never seen before. Steve was chatty, 
drinking wine coolers, flirting in that way straight men do when they feel safe and accepted for the first time. They went to a drag show and played in a Liza Minnelli trivia night. And for the first time, Darren really thought, maybe Steve has changed. And maybe Twin Hills is about to change too. But then they got to their final destination, a club in Broad Ripple notoriously known as Mr. Butt. When we got to Mr. Butt, something clicked. Steve looked at me deep in my eyes and he said, if you could do anything right now, what would you do? And I said, maybe keep dancing. And he said, no, with me. And I said, whoa, Steve, uh, aren't you married? Aren't you straight? Aren't you a Christian? And, And he said, not tonight, not tonight. I don't know if it was the music or the cool ambiance and the lights or the fact that it was leather night, but we got wild. Steve took off his shirt immediately and you see the handsome face and you expect that there's a good body underneath, but God, there was really a a great body. You can tell he works out and really takes care of his temple. And we were just talking to, to guys, learning people's names. Steve even pushed my face into a, another guy that I was kind of talking really close to because the music was loud and, and, and I started kissing him. And that was the first time I had kissed anybody in years. And it was just magical. Steve was going up and ordering drinks for everybody. And and he, he introduced himself by saying, you can call me daddy. I really thought Steve got it. And and got me and maybe also that we could be together and and that he would leave his wife. But, you know, I know that I was stupid for thinking that. I'm a big stupid idiot. High on the night they had shared together, Darren went to Steve the next day with a plan. He had purchased two plane tickets to Key West He would profess his love to Steve, and they would run away together and start the community theater Darren had told Steve about on the dance floor. It sounded crazy, but after a night where Steve had sung all the words to Sondheim's Finishing the Hat, it felt possible. The day after Mr. Butt, I told him, you know, when we were at Mr. Butt, I I felt like I belonged. I felt like there were people that understood me in a way that, that nobody else I knew did. I think I really trusted Steve because everything I told him, he would just end the conversation with saying, your sin is no different than mine. I love you, brother. So that really made me think that once I finally started asking myself deeper questions, like, well, maybe God actually wants me to be happy. Maybe loving someone is actually the greatest commandment and not the greatest sin. You know, lot, lots of just maybes. So I was really expecting him to be the, the first person to accept me and em- embrace me and, and hug me. And there was a long pause. And he said I was fired effective immediately, which also made sense to me. And I never saw him again. To this day, Darren remains confused by what happened between him and Steve. So was I. But I got a call from my wife, which interrupted us before I could ask any further questions. Hey Grant, it's me. I wanted to talk, but you're not picking up your phone right now, so here it is. 
I know you're going to say this is because of your blog or podcast or whatever it is you've decided is your job now, but it's not. It's just you. It's your personality. How you are that I realize just it's, isn't for me. I mean, it's like you leave beard trimmings in the sink. You won't go to the doctor to get that egg smell checked out. You think Disney stuff is okay for adults to be into? Your hands are so dry. And your pores are so big. You only ever want to fuck standing up, which is insane. You've never seen Deadwood. You think commercials are funny. You think Southwest flight attendants are funny. Your nose whistles when you breathe. You sleep with one hand on your butt cheek so you get a pull apart where you fart so that your butt cheeks don't flap. It's like, just fucking fart, Grant. Let me hear it. You say yum after... It's making me gag thinking about it. You say yum after every bite. And then the whole thing the other week in the motel in Cleveland, which was not my idea. I told you NFL players don't look for hookups on Craigslist. Anyway, I wish I really do wish you luck with whatever you're doing. Okay? That's it. Oh, and if you could be out of my place by Wednesday. With the news that my wife was divorcing me, I was struggling to see why I should keep going with this food blog and podcast. But something about Darren's story stuck with me, like the caramel topping on a frozen yogurt served in the Twin Hills cafeteria. It was this, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, there can be a silver lining, a God thing, as these people say, when you need it most. Darren. As I was driving away, I noticed that I had like 14 missed calls. My Nokia was just blowing up and It turns out it was my agent who I hadn't even spoken to in three years. I I honestly forgot I had an agent. I was just so focused on the Lord. And she said, Darren, we did it. You got a role on the network show, Martin, as racist white cop. I still get those residuals today. The same was true with Buddy. Steve gave me eternal life with the Lord in, in heaven. I didn't have that before. And whatever that cost is, you know, I can't drive anymore. I don't have any depth perception. But that's a sacrifice that one gives. I mean, Jesus didn't drive. Luckily, he doesn't need to drive. Just like Jesus, Buddy is a co-pilot, splitting his time between the boat lot and working as a driving instructor at a local high school. I just need to brake and sometimes take the wheel. And maybe it was ambition or providence or the fact that my food blog had received a cryptic comment that I felt like I was driving deeper into the heart of this story. The comment was from someone calling themselves Jazzman Jesus, and all it said was, I'm coming for you. Next week on the rise and fall of Twin Hills, I get served by Steve's lawyer. If you're somebody who can lead a church, then you're somebody who can lead a jury. And so that's why I like church people. And preached at by the only woman Steve ever hired to preach. Any woman who has ever gone to a gynecologist knows that you want to go to a man gynecologist, and here's why. But don't worry, the accusations won't stick. No, no, no. The accusations won't stick. 
The Rise and Fall of Twin Hills was created by Mega the Podcast and written by Greg Hess, with characters improvised by our fantastic guests, Scott Adsit, Aaron Goldenberg, Beth Stelling, and Anatasha Blakely. Grant Hache was played by Greg Hess. Our theme song was written and performed by Joel Hansen. The series was edited by Hannah Parsons. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend or rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can always support the work of Mega by joining the Patreon or using one of our episode sponsors. All those links are in the show notes. See you next week.